Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Continue on what we started on uh, Wednesday in the week. We started the second session of Firstborn Sancho, which we are dealing with. And um, the truth is really growing within my heart and mind, uh, growing within my own spirit. Amen. And I really want to encourage us to really pay attention uh, because these first few sessions of the series are foundational to much of what we will demonstrate and illustrate later on in the series. So it's very important that you get these concepts, you get these fundamental principles firmly etched in your heart and mind, so that when we demonstrate them, we don't always have to refer back to the principle. Amen? But soak yourself in the principle so that um, it becomes part and parcel of all that you are. Amen? This particular session, and we're going to continue from where we left off last time, I termed it, we are what Christ is. Could we repeat that? I am... What Christ is. Or more correctly, we are what Christ is. So Christ is the Son, and we corporately are the corporate Son. Christ is an heir of the Father, and we also are heirs of the Father. He's the Father's firstborn, so too we corporately are firstborn of God. The truth that you must, and it's a simple truth, it sounds so simple, but many people don't fully understand it. And I'm going, re- I'm going to repeat it, not, for the, not to be repetitious, but for emphasis, until the truth seeks in. You must get it into your mind, all of us. This truth must become such an unswerving conviction that as he is, so am I. I am like him in every way. All that he is, you want to draw all of me into. That is the ultimate plan of salvation. You were not saved from hell to go to heaven. Previously, when we presented the gospel of salvation, we put the fear of hell into the people and then made altar calls. So people walked up with the idea of escaping hell in order to gain entrance into heaven. And in the the way in which they live life as sons of God being saved, there's no pursuit after The ultimate that God always had in mind was that the son who comes into the kingdom must become like the son of his love. Right? Colossians, according to Colossians, we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love or the kingdom of his dear son. And so when you come into the kingdom with the idea of, I need to give my life to the Lord so that I don't go to hell and then ensure that I go to heaven. You come in with the mentality that I don't need to mature in my sonship because I fulfill the condition to gain entrance into heaven. The gospel of the kingdom is different from the gospel of salvation. Jesus 
did not preach the gospel of salvation. Jesus consistently preached, like John did, like Paul did, the gospel of the, the kingdom of God. The kingdom, according to Colossians 1, is described as the kingdom of his son, or the kingdom of his dear son. Go straight to page 8 and read it. Colossians 3, sorry. Colossians 3, from verse 13 to 15, right at the top of the last page. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us into what? The kingdom of his beloved son. Now the word beloved, in some, some translations, you can write the word dear, the kingdom of his dear son, but the strict Hebrew transliteration, that's a translation, but the transliteration, in other words, if you take the Greek word and you give it an equivalent, almost word by word uh, equivalent, it would read like this in the English. Not his beloved son or his dear son, it's the son of his love. Write it in there. The son of his love. Let's reread it with that understanding. He rescued us. Repeat after me. Say, I am rescued. So he rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us into a kingdom which is described as the kingdom of the son of his love. Now tell your neighbor, you too are the son of his love. Right? It's not just, I know we're going a bit off here, but I just want to, in terms of what Lillian started, I just want to re-emphasize the point. It's not just the son that he loves. It's the son who has the capacity to express and represent his love to everybody else. When you come into the kingdom, it's a kingdom of love. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to talk about that next week. But the domain of the kingdom has a character. It's called sonship. If, if I were writing this, probably I would never have said the kingdom of the son of his love, or the kingdom of his dear son, or the kingdom of his beloved son. Perhaps I would have described the kingdom in other terms. But Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, characterize the kingdom as the kingdom of the son of his love. If I were to draw it like this, just for, if this sphere is a kingdom and you were in some other kingdom, Bible literally calls it a domain, not a kingdom, a domain of darkness to which you were enslaved in your unsaved state. And when you heard the message, what did he do? He took you out of the domain of darkness and he put you into the kingdom of the sun. My point is this. The, the, the chief for me, the chief characteristic of God's kingdom is sonship. He made you a son. Now, this is more than just becoming, I am a son of God. To as many as received him, he gave the power to be called the son of God. The domain over which this king rules is one of sonship. I am rescued out of the domain of darkness 
and he transferred me or translated me into a, for want of a better description, let me describe it like this. I've been transferred into a spatial sphere of existence. Everyone do this, although you may not twist and turn. You see, because kingdom is everything. Kingdom is not just what you do at church. Kingdom is how I relate to my wife. Kingdom is how I treat my, Leo's a boss, how I treat my subordinates. Um, if you're working, how you relate to your superior. Kingdom is how you interact with your kids. Kingdom touches every sphere or strata of life. Now do this again. Bring this deliberately. You know why? I, I have a quality of life. I have a spatial sphere of existence. And what must, what must ooze out of me in everything I touch, in my behavior, the content of my speech, people must conclude one thing. See the Son of God. See the Son. Look at that Son. See how the Son manifests Himself on the sports field. See how the Son leads a group of other people. Whatever I do, my world, my kingdom that I'm part of, is a kingdom of the Son of His love. And listen carefully. Love is the most quintessential description of all that God is. The core character of God is love. For God is love, the Bible says. So if I can imbibe the nature of God, love literally visibilizes everything that God is. Now this son is called, not just any son, he's called the, not Facebook, he's called the firstborn son of God. Right? He's the object of God's love, and he is the principle that represents God's love to others. Right? Both the object and the representation of the love of God to all um, that is in my world. Now back to page one. I'm going to just quickly rehearse what we did in the week and then go on. All that Christ is, we are. I am everything that he is. He desires to draw me into the fullest representation of himself. I am to become like him in all things. He became like me. The Son of God became the Son of Man. So the Son of Man could become sons of God. He who was divine became human. So humans could take on the divine. He, he basically experienced all of me. The divine experienced all of humanity. In every point tempted, in all points as we are, yet without sin. So that humans could experience all of who he is. So the son of God becomes a son of man. So that sons of men could become sons of God. It's the ultimate plan of salvation. To draw every human into all that he is. It's not about... Heaven is not a destination to be pursued. Please get that out of your thinking. Heaven is not my object. Heaven is not my objective. It's not my goal. It's, I don't have my eye. You know, I'm not living like hoping I'm going to make it there one day. If you're still living in that realm, 
then you're not realizing the full, ultimate objective of God for your salvation. Amen? I know they most, I mean, don't you realize most Christians live like that? Let's, let's live right with the hope that we'll get a foot in one day. And we, in, hey, we made it. Right? No, no. You know, that, that for me is, is, I often tell the kids at school while teaching, uh, failure must not even be a consideration for you. That if, would I pass or would I fail is, must not be the issue that haunts your mind at school. Passing is a foregone conclusion. That I pass, that I will know. My only pressure is how well I'm going to pass. Hmm? But to fail is not an option. Amen, students? Failure is not part of your system. Right? So with us too, that we won't make heaven is not part of our thinking. We are so wide in God. Our, all we are concerned about is that we would fully uh, represent Him. That we would mature in Christ and Christ in, in us. Now Romans, I need to start here quickly. Romans eight sixteen says the following. An amazing verse. And verse 17. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If children is also is of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified with him. Everyone say, I'm an heir of God. I'm an heir of God. Now, I want to just demonstrate this. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Let's call him Christ Jesus. Okay, so I'm writing a bit small. Christ Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. Right? The church, which is his body. He is the firstborn of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23 calls the church, we are the church of the firstborn. Again, Everything he is, he wants the church to be. And it's even evidenced in the New Testament by terms like church of the firstborn. Christ Jesus, the firstborn, the first begotten of the Father. And we too are, are the firstborn of God. Now, God, the Father... that up here. God is our Father. Christ Jesus, His Son. He paid the price for our redemption so that we all could be sons of God. Now, this He's the Son, the firstborn. Let me put an S here. So we are the church of the firstborn, sons of God. Everyone say of. Sons of God. Say it with me again. Sons of God. Now say it slowly. Say it with an emphasis on of. Sons of God. Say that again. Sons of God. A simple statement, sons of God, but it's pregnant with such powerful revelation. 
that the Son must be of God. That anything that, everything that God is, He expects His Son to be. Everything that God is, He expects His Son to be. Right? Every father has a will and leaves an estate or inheritance for his son. Next week, I will talk more. The whole topic next week is uh, what exactly is our inheritance. But here's a clue given to us already. It says we are what? Heirs of who? Heirs of God. Now, he is the heir. And the Bible uses terms like, he's made us what? Fellow heirs or joint heirs, New King, Old King James. Right? So there's parallels between everything Christ is with all that he desires us to be. Now, I am not just an heir of the Father, as in simply one of many sons, there is some inheritance in him. My joint inheritance is in Christ Jesus. Apart from Christ Jesus, I have no inheritance in God the Father. My inheritance is only because I'm in him. His desire is to draw me into everything he is. So when I become like him, in terms of everything he is, I'm privy to and have access to all that he does. So Paul in Romans uses language. We are heirs of the father. Right? And he qualifies that by saying. Your access as an heir is literally. Because you have become what? Joined or joined heir with Christ. What does the Bible say? As many as are joined to the Lord. They are what? One spirit with him. Right? This is a mystery. Everyone say it's a mystery. Just leave it there for a while. This is, a, this is the plan of salvation for me. This is the reason why I'm saved. I've got to stand in the earth as a son of God. Christ in me, me in Christ. He becoming the firstborn in me. I growing up into all that he is. Fully representing him in the earth, having status, preeminence, privilege, being resourced by my father. I walk not as an orphan or a slave. I walk with absolute confidence in the earth as God's firstborn son. Amen. Especially you young people, I really want to encourage you. If you can understand this now, right, you'll do yourself a huge favor as you mature in God. You wake up every day reminding yourself, Randolph Barnwell, you are an heir. You might not be in anybody's will on the earth, but God put you in a will and given you an inheritance. What must every will, what is required for every will to be active? The death of the testator, the death of the one who wrote the will. Jesus died for you to make the will active. He paid a price to give access to all sons of God into an estate. That estate is basically a nature or a name. I'll, call, I'll talk about that nature next week. God the Father, an inheritance. He's grafted you into that. Right? 
And that is why, that is why, listen carefully. I'll talk about birthright next week. When people view birthright with such disesteem and such disdain by how they behave, when you can look at all of this and say, God, you did not just choose to give me, if you had your choice, I bet you, what, there'll be multiplicity of, 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 of uh, desires given to the Father. If the Father said to all of us, tell me, sons, what you want. Name it, claim it, you can have it. Okay? People will want maybe cars, houses, maybe someone will want the moon. Father, I want that moon. My moon that, right? I want, I want to control America. I want this nation. I want this influence. Remember what Solomon asked for? When God gave him a similar scenario, what did he ask for? Wisdom, he said, wisdom to govern your people. For who can govern this great people? Right? The task is big. In other words, what Solomon is saying, and Paul later in the New Testament would tell us, Jesus has become to us the what? The, the wisdom of God. So what was Solomon asking for? Basically, I want what you are. I know in you is wisdom. So give me all you are so I can represent you before all these people. Right? That, listen carefully. Let me just say this. If you get this, all of you, young people, old people, all of us, if we get our desire right for all of him, Everything we would ever need to be successful in life will automatically be given to us. I'm trying to instill within you this morning a desire for intimacy, a desire to know him more. Your pursuit after your inheritance. Tell your neighbor, I want my inheritance. And essentially, you already have it in Christ Jesus. It has been given. It must simply be appropriated. It must simply be seen and activated. Amen. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Close your eyes and say, Father, I thank you. You are my inheritance. Everything I need is in you. Every, you're my portion. You're my lot. The lines, Psalm 16 says, the lines have fallen upon me in goodly places. I have a beautiful heritage. You are my inheritance. My heritage is a good one. A good one, I have you. Oh, to know you more. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you. There is no greater thing. There is no greater experience. Amen. Than to, to know him. Amen. So we are heirs of God and joint heirs with, with Christ Jesus. Then on page 2. As Christ is, so are we in this. In this world. Amen. 1 John 4.17 By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we. Where? In this world. If you look at the diagram here, what John is saying. As He is, so are we. Not in the next life. In this present world. Right? So this is something we need to to get in the year and now as he is, so are we in this present world. And I love again here the emphasis of love. By this love is perfected in us. We might have confidence in the day of judgment. 
For as He is, so are we in this present world. Now, in that first paragraph, there's a reference to 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1.13, that I want to just focus on for a little bit. For a little bit. Let me read it. This process of being as He is, is obviously a progressive one. Is progressive and one in which occurs, or one which occurs by us seeing Christ. Everyone say you must see Him. To be like Him, you have got to see Him. Christ is constantly appearing to us through the Word. We taught that thoroughly. Grace, everyone say grace. Grace, the divine endowment of the nature of God given to us to configure our identity in Him and to empower our service for Him is imparted at the revelation or the appearing of Christ to you. Here's the verse, 1 Peter 1.13. Grace be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. I love that verse. When is grace brought to you? At the, come on, say it with me. At the revelation of Christ. So if you want more grace, what must you pursue? The revelation of Christ. Question. How is Christ revealed to you? Through His Word. He jumps out of the Scriptures. Every time you open the book, Christ is revealed. Every revelation of Christ, the more you see Him, the more grace comes to you at the revelation of, of, of Christ. So every time I study, every time I'm in a sermon, I'm in an apostolic school, I'm listening to the Word or studying privately, guess what my quest is? In all of this doctrine, I want to see the revelation of the person of Christ. Because I know that no man can ever see God and remain the same. If I truly see Him, I know I will be like Him. That is why I want to encourage you, even as you sit in every Sunday morning service here, and you sit weekly or wherever you are, don't be so focused on the presentation. Don't be so focused on the articulation of what you are hearing. Your desire must be in all that Randolph is presenting, I want to see Christ. Because I can walk out here with a, with a note. You can, two things. You can walk out here with a note. Or you can walk out and with knowledge and information. Or you can walk out here being transformed. Some will walk out being transformed based on what they have. Seeing the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. What we don't want is the accumulation of information but no transformation in lives. And grace, listen carefully, say it again, grace that is meant to empower you, grace that is meant to configure your nature. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I work, yet not I. What you need is grace for representation of His nature. You want that grace, you're going to have to see Him every time His word is declared. You're going to have to see Him every time you read and study the Word. If you don't see Him, you are not transformed to be like Him. Why is it that we will be like Him? Read it again, 1 John 4, 17. Because, that last part says, because as He is, so are we in this, this world. On, on page, go to page 3, right at the top. 1 John 3, 1, 2, 3. I'm jumping over stuff because we've dealt with that in the week. 1 John 3, 1, 2, 3 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we will, should be called the sons or the children of God, 
for such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now are we the, the children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Please focus on these words. I am only like Him if I see Him. We will be like Him, for we will see Him. Sight. Sight is necessary for transformation. You are only like Him based on what you see of Him. Okay? And what you might desire is really growing. I had a phenomenal week this week in the Word, studying privately in my office. Literally, if I could explain it, it's like Christ appearing literally there around me. The other night, uh, two nights ago, I couldn't sleep. And then so I wrote up, uh, I think the next two or three studies after this, in terms of where we are going. And I really felt the Lord saying, now even your studying is going to change. Your writing will be different. For I will show you, your, I'm going to honor your desire to see me in my word. Every time you study, I will begin to show you myself because you're only going to be changed, not because of your studying Greek, Hebrew, and putting stuff together. You will only be transformed based on what you see. I was touched by what uh, Sam Solon said when he prayed. Uh, at the conference, he mentioned this, that he was praying. He said, and the, he, he said something to the effect of the place where he would daily pray, the carpet was worn out. Because of the pressure of his knees on the carpet. And I mean that alone is a principle we ought to daily see God. If great men like that who know so much of God. Paul at the end of his ministry said, oh that I might know him. The quest to know God. And he mentioned this. And God, the, 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 the next book that would be released shortly, basically was downloaded to him in those sessions. And he made the statement. It was not done by an appeal to studying and the analysis of Greek and Hebrew. It was done by seeking God and the impartation. Now, I want to encourage you, we need both dynamics. What I feel generally, especially in the church today, we've become so highly academic in our approach to the Scriptures that sometimes we don't see the person of Christ jump out of the Scriptures. Revelation is an act of God. If God doesn't show you a thing, you will never see it. You can try all you want to. What, and I really, this is my uh, quest that has really grown in my heart. To search God. To search God. Coupled with the search of His Word. If you will seek me with all your hearts, what will God say? You will, you will find me. If you seek me and search for me with all your hearts. I want to encourage, especially the young people, develop a daily uh, habit of seeking God by prayer. I know we're all young, eh? And you know what? Much of my strength in God today was because early in my youth, I developed this habit of praying. Um, I had a very close friend growing up, Christian Bantam. And literally, for all our high school and my varsity life, every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, we would be at the church, praying from 5 to 6. Now, let me say, you can't extract what, I can't extract that from my life, what it's meant to me over the years, to come to the Lord, and to seek Him by prayer. And I want to encourage you, let that be your search and your desire as well.
Tell your neighbor you need to see him in his word. Christ will jump. And let me say, if you are, if you are spiritful, you kisharabahando, you're praying in the spirit daily, seeking him by prayer, all the things I've taught you. You're living at peace with all men. Uh, peace is your prosperity. The walls are still up. You're studying, you're meditation, all those, that five sessions of meditation, you're doing all of these things. The last thought before you sleep is, is, a, is a verse. You're waking up in the midnight, your mind instructs you, as, as David said, all these things are in place. I guarantee you, what you are doing in your life, you're building up, you're putting props in place, putting a structure in place where God says, now I can come and show you myself. Some of us want to see, we don't open the book. Some of us want to see Christ, we're not praying daily in the Spirit. Some of us want to see Christ, we're still at enmity with people, and we're still fighting. Some of us want to see Him, and still our mouths are not still guarded. Christ will not simply show Himself and appear anywhere. You've got to create the context and create the environment for it. Amen? And so, may your desire be, yes, Lord you are the firstborn, Christ Jesus. I want to be a joint heir together with you. I want to be so one with you that there's no divisibility between you and I. We are indissolubly one. You are the heir of God, your Father, and you've made me a joint with everything you are. Think about this. He's the heir. You are the joint. No, he's the heir. He's the heir. You are the joint. He's, say, he's saying to you, come into everything I am. I want to literally, that's why Hebrews says, it behoved Christ to bring many sons. He wanted to bring many sons unto glory. Right? Hebrews chapter 2. Many sons unto glory. Now, Colossians 3, quickly. Colossians 3. We're going to be done by 20 past. I want to spend time fellowshipping. Afterwards, Colossians 3 verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand position is the position of great favor. Where he's seated, he wants you to be seated. You are in Christ. If he's at the right hand, you are at the right hand. Amen. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. This is where the rubber meets the road. That's why the series and meditation was so important. You must control where you set your mind. Right? It says that if therefore you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on that reality. Set your mind on that. On things above and not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with God, is hid with Christ in God. My life is hid with Christ in God. Lovely statement. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. And I've, I've shared a lot about that on Wednesday. I don't want to go back there because of time. Let's go to the next verse quickly. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding in as a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Not so? 
again, the principle is, if you see him, you will be changed to be like him. It says, we all with unveiled face, we behold or we see the glory, we are changed to be like him from one level of glory to the next by the Spirit of the Lord. So the quest for you should be to see him. And I wrote at the top there, revelation is necessary for representation. If you want to represent him accurately, you have to see him. Sight is so important. Sight of Christ, the revelation of, of Christ to you. And then here's the classic scripture. In fact, Romans 8, 28 and 29 is our bedrock scripture for the series. We know that all things, that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also did what? He predestined to become conformed to what? The image of His Son, so that He would be what? He would be, He would be firstborn. Please understand this. I'm going to emphasize, so that He would be firstborn. He would be firstborn where? Where, what is the context that he wants to demonstrate this in? It says, yeah, watch. In. The word is among there, but it should be in, according to the Greek word in. So it shouldn't read among, because if he is among us, he's among. But if he's in, it means he's in everyone. He wants to be firstborn. Let me just draw one of us here. Okay, this looks like Luke. He, he wants to be firstborn in you. Come stand here quickly. Look. If I'm Christ, and he, Luke, together with you, are all my sons in the Lord. Um, the passion of Christ. He's saying, I'm not satisfied that I'm the only begotten of the Father. I'm not happy with that. I'm an heir. I want people to be joined, joined heirs with me, and give them equal access to all I have access to. I'm not even satisfied that they be there, I be here, and I simply be among them. In fact, my ultimate is, I want to, if I can do it, I'm going to jump inside of you now, and you're going to see me disappear, right? <laughs> Watch and behold. Right? So I, I, I jump inside of him. Who do you see? You see Luke, the son. But who's in him? <laughs> Christ, that is, listen carefully. You're not going to lose who you are, but he wants to become everything he is in you. It's not about you becoming firstborn. It's about you permitting him, allowing him to be what he wants to in you. He wants to be the firstborn in you. Now think about this. What did Paul, what was Paul's travail? He said, that Christ wants to be formed in you. Remember the apostolic travail in Galatians? He said, I labor in birth. Paul's writing to the Galatians, says, I'm like a, like, a, like a pregnant woman about to give birth. He says, I'm travailing in birth until what? That Christ might be formed in you. So, listen to me. If he, put this arrow here. He wants to be formed in us. Right? 
Christ in me, the hope of Christ in me, the hope of of glory. He wants to be formed in us fully. And you can look at the notes there, but I don't want to uh, labor the point. I think it's been made sufficiently. Right? Everyone say image. Image is icon. I like the, the meaning, the Greek, icon. E-I-K-O-N. You get the English word icon from there. Hey? So, I am the icon of God. If you double click on me, guess who opens up? What program opens up? No icon on a desktop. Click, click. The world opens. If you double click on me, all you see is Christ. Even if you double click me the wrong way. <laughs> In other words, however you double click me, nicely or not nicely, it, Christ will always manifest. So you treat me nice, Christ manifests. You treat me wrong, Christ manifests. You praise me, Christ manifests. You speak, O man of ill against me, Christ manifests. Tell your neighbor you're the icon of God. In fact, uh, graphic guys, we must make a little icon, like a desktop icon. Put their firstborn and put your picture there. Double click me and see a world of God open up to you. Right? That would be a nice idea. Eh? The icon, the firstborn. Now the word literally means this. Look at it. Statue. I like the meaning of profile. Profile. Most of you have Facebook accounts. You know, some Facebook accounts, you, you click the profile and you check what the person's about. Say, yo. If you look at some people's Facebook walls, you wonder, is this a son of God or what? Your profile, your representation everywhere must tell the viewer, this is God. This is all that we are about. I want to encourage you young people, if you're, if you're an active Facebook user and you have a Facebook account, don't put nonsense up there. Use it as a platform to represent the nature of your father. Amen? So tell your neighbor, we have a profile in the spirit. You have a profile in the spirit. You, there are certain things that must be in place if you call yourself this thing, firstborn son. Right? Certain expectations. Certain things that we want to see in your life. Amen? I have a profile in the spirit. Figure or, or likeness. Now, Let's quickly, because of time, I just want to rush through, rush through a few things. Go to page six. Seven, sorry. Take another ten minutes and we'll wrap up. I know this is basically a rehearsal of some of the stuff we've done, um, but I need to, to demonstrate it. On the board here, Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says that you have come to the, the, the New Jerusalem, to the, a, a myriad of angels, to the spirits of just men made, perfect, to the general assembly, and to the church of the firstborn. Right? Everyone say, we have come. Yeah. Now, I like that, that, that phrasing. It says, this is according Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 says, but... And the previous context was talking about Sinai and the, the mountain, that quake, and there was fear surrounding that whole experience. But the writer of the book of Hebrews suddenly says, in comparison to them, we have not come to 
to Sinai. He says, we have come to Mount Zion. Everyone say Zion. He says, we have come to Mount Zion. And I'm quoting from page 6. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels. I want to encourage you, just stop there by angels. And I know this is a double reference to the angelic beings with the celestial angels, but also to spiritual fathers who function as angels. But primarily in this context, to celestial angels. I'll do a whole session on the ministry of angels. Because in my studying, there's so much proof that whenever a firstborn manifests, there's always the presence of angels. Literal, literal angels. And I want to encourage you to read and study the book of, of, of Hebrews. Right? Study the life of the firstborn himself, Jesus Christ, and see how that there was an angelic assistance. There was angelic intervention in his life. In fact, I can't wait for that study. Let me just tell you now, as a prophetic, something to spur you on. Be expectant and be aware of the invasion of angels in your world. Angels in your business. Angels in your marriage. The Bible says, and you know that verse in Hebrews where it says, Are they not ministering spirits sent to minister to those who have become what? Heirs of salvation. If I'm an heir, and the whole context of that verse in Hebrews is talking about firstborn. Firstborn. So I want to encourage you. Expect angels. I'm expecting angels to minister heavenly assistance on my behalf. Amen? Uh, some of you uh, may not be fully aware of the ministry of angels. But let me just say this, especially as the age closes. Expect to see more and more of angelic intervention in your world. The Bible says they are your personal aides. Right? You may not have a personal assistant, PA, but you have one angel. I was thinking, Andre, when I, you know this truth, and Tamo mentioned it on two occasions in his series on the firstborn. and began to study it a bit more clearly. And it was, um, I, I, my prayer is, Lord, if ever in my life I need angelic aid, I need it now. <laughs> and it has been there all along. But I believe it's going to intensify. So I really want to encourage you. Be aware. Uh, for some of you, angels have protected you when you should have died. You know that? For some of you, angels have just been there all along the way, doing things without your knowledge. Amen? And so I really want to encourage you to, to be aware of the ministry of the angelic realm within your world. Now, it says, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Now go to page 7. Church of the firstborn. Who are you, church? Come on, Kanye. Who are you? Church of the firstborn. This is a bunch of firstborn sons. That's who we are. We are a group of firstborn sons. Everything is, so are we. We are the church of the firstborn. And for me, I wrote in your notes, it's the most succinct, powerfully loaded term of description for the church. There are many descriptions of the church in the word. But this for me caps it all. This is the church of the firstborn. It says it's a powerfully succinct one, which encapsulates and includes the varied and multifaceted characteristics of the, of the divine. And how I explained it, just quickly here, your attention, I explained it like this. 
in times past, in different epochs of human history, God would come to the earth and he would unveil himself or disclose himself in terms of one character, characteristic of his nature, to a man. Because that aspect of the nature of God to that man at that point in time was crucial for that man to imbibe the nature and so represent God in his circumstance, specific and particular circumstance that he found himself in. The imbibing of that nature was that man's arsenal, his armory, the tools he would need to represent God in his world and overcome anything the enemy would throw against him. So when Gideon fights Midian, what does Gideon see? What, what does God show him of himself? I am the Lord what? The Lord is peace. Why? Because you must destroy Midianites, which means strife. So my nature will cause you to, to overcome. What did, what did, Jehovah, what did um, Abram see of the Lord on the mount before he sacrificed Isaac? Provision. The Lord is, the Lord is provision. And you can go through all the Jehovahistic names of God, all the redemptive names. But let me say this, all those names do not adequately describe all that God is. They are segments. It's like God is big. And there's a man and various men and women in human history. And at points in time, he would show and disclose aspects of himself. What I'm saying to you, this term, church of the firstborn, is the most powerfully succinct, all-encompassing description of the church and also of everything that Christ Jesus is, because in it is the most comprehensive revelation of God. It's not God revealing segments of himself. This is the most comprehensive, uh, if you want, for a better term, pin code. You know why? Because it's going to unveil to you the nature of God as Father, which is the most powerful description, all-encompassing, comprehensive name of, of God. From this, you can get anything. From this, anything can, can emit and flow to from here. Amen? Now, here's the challenge I want to leave you with. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15. Speaking the truth in what? In love. There we have the love again. Speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up. Tell your neighbor, please grow up. Half the church wants to go up, but we need to grow up. It says we must grow up what? Into what? Grow up into, in all aspects, into Him who is the head of the church, the head even Christ. This is the quest of God. This is the desire of God. This statement, when I read it, the Lord really sort of spoke to my heart. And I literally heard the Lord saying, Randolph, come into all that I am. Grow up, not just, you know, we, we often uh, encourage people to grow in the Lord, to mature, to grow in be progressive in your relationship with God. But we don't give them context as to what to grow up into. We must grow up, Ephesians 2.15 says, grow up into Christ in some respects. Does it say in some respects? 
In some aspects, terrible all aspects. You know what? This is amazing. Just if I didn't have the whole book of Ephesians and I only had Ephesians 2.15 with me. That's enough. It says, I must grow up into everything that He is. I, now if you look at it like this, it's an amazing dual process. If you think about it, I just said to you, He wants to become the firstborn in you or in us, but we must grow up into all that He is. Christ in us, us in Christ. Those, those terms are throughout the New Testament. Terms like Christ in us and we in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. In the language of John, John 3.30, he must increase. But we must decrease. In other words, if every trace of the orphan mindset in me, I subject it. It decreases. The more his image and identity of the son, his profile must become my profile. His profile in me can increase. And I must grow up into him in all things. Corollary, it's like two things running parallel, almost bi-directional, but really the same thing. And this is this. Paul said, Christ must be formed. Where? Everyone do this, in me. Think, use your imagination. It's like, like Luke was standing here. I like to do practical things. In other words, he has his own identity. But Christ says, but no, you must derive your identity from me. I want to be formed in you so that you take on everything I am. All that you are must be swallowed up in all that I represent. Right? Christ must be formed in you and you must grow up into him in all things. In other words, as he is formed in you, so you will grow up into him. You become all that he is as you allow him to become uh, uh, the firstborn son fully matured within you. Now I want to read the paragraph. I put all of these concepts and the references are there for your study. But I put them all down in one, in one sort of paragraph. And I want to make it as an assertion. I want to make it as an assertion. And I want us to read it together. Stand with me. This is the paragraph after Ephesians 2, verse 15. We're going to read it loud and strong as a prophetic affirmation. But don't read the verses of Scripture where those concepts are found. Amen? Ask your neighbor, are you ready? Come on, just remind someone, you are God's firstborn son. Tell someone, you are an heir of the Father. You are joint heir with Christ. Tell someone, you are joint heir with Christ. You are joint heir with Christ. Tell a few more people. Tell a few more people. Carla, you are joint heir with Christ. Amen. You are firstborn son. Amen. You are joint heir with Christ Jesus. You are an heir of God, your father. Amen. Now tell them this. Grow up into him. Grow up into him. Grow up into him in all things. Amen. Come on, tell a few more people. Not some things, every aspect. Gareth, grow up into Christ in all things. Amen. Come on, tell a few more people. You know why I'm doing this? It might sound like, hey, what's happening here? 
Let it become your vocabulary. Let it become your thinking. Talk about it. Say it. Let it become part of your, part of your system. Sorry, Sean just corrected. It's not 2.15, it's 4.15. You can correct that later. It's Ephesians 4.15. Thanks for that. Okay, let's read this together. Amen? You ready? One, two. Christ must be fully formed in me. He must increase and I must decrease. He wants to manifest in me as the firstborn son. His nature becomes mine. I must grow up into him. I must grow up into that dimension in which he is being formed in me. Namely, firstborn sonship. Then my life is hid with God in Christ. In him I live and move and have my being. I must die to any other identity. For I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in me coming to full formation as the firstborn. I am in Christ growing up into him in all things. Christ and I are indivisibly one. I am a joint heir with him. And so because I am joined to the Lord, I am one spirit with him. As he envelops all of who I am, I become all of who he is. Firstborn son. Hallelujah. Come on, tell someone again. You are a firstborn son. Lift up your hands. The truth of this is staggering if we, if we get it. It's monumental. It's so big. It's a, a key that God is trying to... I pray that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That you would know the hope of your calling. Thank God who has qualified us. Colossians, Paul would say in Colossians. Thanks be to God who qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance. What an inheritance we have. Our inheritance is Him, our Father. He is your Father, firstborn sons. He will, I want to assure you, He will take care of you. He will resource you sufficiently so that you can represent Him in all things. So be at rest. Be at rest. Allow Him to become all that He desires to be in you. you he must increase. You must decrease. Let the representation, the knowledge... The power of the firstborn be fully erected within us. Father, we thank you. How we thank you for all that you mean to us. Like Paul, we too lift up our hands and we say, Thanks be to God who qualified me. Me to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Thank you, Father. That I'm a partaker of this divine nature with other saints. Not individually, but as a corporate thing. That's why I love my brothers and my sisters. Because everyone must come into this dimension. We lift up our hands and our cry is that we might know you. That we might see you. You are our pursuit. You are our objective. We desire nothing more, nothing less than to see you. For as we see you, we will be transformed to be like you. Grace will come to me at the revelation of Christ to me. So reveal yourself. 
Show forth your nature through your word. For the more I see you, Father, the more I become like you. I thank you that you've made me firstborn. What a privilege. What a privilege. How thankful I am. How thankful we are for your grace, for the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation. You were not satisfied to enjoy all of this privilege alone, Lord Jesus. It behoved you to suffer many things that you might bring many sons into the same status as you enjoy. What unselfishness. What thought for others. How great is the Father's love to us that we should be called the sons of God. See how great the Father has bestowed, John would say, His love to us, that we should be called the sons of God. I love my salvation, Father. I love your plan. It's an amazing, ingenious plan. What a mighty God you are. What a loving Father. Chosen to share all of who you are with mortal men. In and through whom you're going to display all that you represent. Come on, let's lift up our hands to you. Your heart should be overwhelmed with gratitude. Just a simple thank you, thank you, thank you for the awesome plan of salvation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. How I thank you. With all my shortcomings and failings, you still regard me as a firstborn son. What a privilege. I want to quote first John. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you. That you should be called the sons of God. See how great a love the Father has given to us. See how great a love. How we thank you, Father. Father, our hearts not only overwhelmed with thanks. Our hearts are gripped by the responsibility of representation. We want to be your icon. When people look at us, they will see us as a desktop icon, which they can engage and encounter a world called the divine. Lord, let that be our, our challenge. May we do nothing to despise the birthright. This awesome privilege. You engrafted us in your eternal will. What a powerful privilege. How we thank you, Father. We thank you once again for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.